Americans are capable of achieving extraordinary things when they have the freedom and opportunity to do so. This is American Potential, and here's your host, Jeff Crank. Well, thanks for joining us. I'm excited about this episode of the podcast. You know, in 1887, there was an article called The Study of Administration. I know that sounds boring. It's going to get a lot better, I promise. And that article discussed the need for an administrative government. This article was written by the 28th president of the United States, Woodrow Wilson. Fast forward to 1933 and Franklin Delano Roosevelt and his New Deal created programs and committees in hopes of relieving some of the hardships that people were facing while they were going through the Great Depression. Some of these committees we still have today, like the Security and Exchange Commission, or the SEC, and the Tennessee Valley Authority. So why are we doing a history lesson today on the administrative state? Because over the past decades, the administrative state has grown along with the power that they have been given. And these powers need to go back to the Congress of the United States, which is where they belong. Our guest today is United States Senator Mike Lee. And Senator Lee has been a real policy champion when it comes to restoring Congress's balance of power and returning power to citizens rather than to government. I'm excited to talk with him about that as well as what Congress can do to help with high energy costs that are hurting America's families. Well, Senator Lee, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes uh, to be with us. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It's good to be with you. Okay. Now, first and foremost, I have it on high authority that you do amazing impressions. (laughs) Is that right? There's some truth to that. I don't know that I would say they're amazing, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I, I, I do do some impressions. Well, give me your best one. What's your best impression? Um, I like to think I'd do a pretty good Trump. Oh, I got to hear the Trump. Go ahead. Let's hear it. Healthcare is going to be so much better. Once we get finished with it, it's going to be affordable. The risk pools, they're going to be, they're going to be huge. (laughs) Okay. Now that's a, that's a very good Donald Trump. Um, Give me one more good impression. What's your next best? Probably Ted Cruz. Okay. Yes. I want to hear this. My name is Ted Cruz. And I think it's very important. To follow the Constitution at every single moment. (laughs) That's great. It needs a little work, actually. No, no, that's pretty good. That's really good. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. That's great. Okay, and I also, one more good, fun question I wanted to ask you. I want you to tell me about the time that Harry Reid locked you in a D.C. garage. Now, that I've got to hear. Yeah, true story. I mean, it... Technically, it wasn't in D.C. It was in Northern Virginia. It is home in McLean. Okay. Um, Harry Reid uh, was elected to Congress in 1982 to the House of Representatives and moved into uh, to our neighborhood. I, I was living out here at the time with my family. My, my dad, uh, you know, I grew up in Utah, but we spent a few years in um, living in McLean, Virginia, when my dad worked for the Justice Department. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Reeds moved just a few blocks away from us, and we went to the same school and the same church with the Reeds. And son Josh and I became best friends. 
we were over there one afternoon and Harry was kind of a practical jokester. He was known for that mm-hmm. um, among all of Josh's friends. And one Saturday afternoon, he decided it'd be really funny to just lock us in, into the garage. Uh, <laughs> somehow disabled the garage door opener so we couldn't get out that way. Then he locked the <laughs> interior side of the door leading into their basement from the garage. So we were, we were locked. Um, we um, mostly decided to just ride skateboards and bikes around their then empty garage, I don't know, for an hour or two, just try to pass the time. And then I think we finally figured out a way to jerry-rig the door so we could disconnect it from the drive. And then we lifted it and got out. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great story. That's, my that's my a- wife wondered whether, you know, there was uh, some subconscious feature <laughs> about that that, that uh, led me to run for the United States Senate. Many yeah, years what? Later. Wives are usually pretty perceptive when it comes to things like that. (laughs) Well, that's great. All right. Well, I want to get to some serious topics. I know we just have just a couple of minutes, but I I really do appreciate you going into some of those things for me. Um, I I wanted to talk really about Article 1 of the U.S. Constitution. Obviously, outlines the responsibilities of the Congress, the House and the Senate. And can you quickly talk to, to listeners about what those are. Let's lay that groundwork. What are the responsibilities that the Constitution outlines in Article 1? Okay, so uh, in Article 1, uh, we see a couple of things. Uh, at a most fundamental level, in Article 1, Section 8, it outlines the basic responsibilities of the federal government. It does that by outlining the, the, the powers that Congress may exercise. And, you know, pretty much every power that we have subject to a couple of modifications made in amendments, but most of our amendments don't um, create new powers uh, uh, that previously were not federal and make them uh, federal. Most of them are still found in Article I, Section 8. It gives the federal government authority uh, over national defense, an army, a navy, a uniform system of weights and measures, laws governing trademarks, copyrights, patents, uh, all forms of intellectual property, uh, immigration and naturalization. And then, of course, we have the power to regulate trade or commerce between the states with foreign nations and with the Indian tribes. Um, there are a few others, but that's, that's the bulk of the power that Congress has, along, along with the power then uh, uh, to, to fund government, um, to collect revenue uh, subject to a, a number of restrictions, and to spend that money on uh, areas within our enumerated powers. So that's the most important feature of Article One is to outline what the federal government's power is. Uh, the remainder of Article One uh, talks primarily about how the legislative branch is set up, what it consists of, uh, a Senate and a House of Representatives. That the, in the Senate, you'll have each state equally represented by two senators in the House of Representatives. Uh, you'll have members, uh, seats in that body. Um, uh, apportioned according to each state's population. And uh, so most of the rest of Article One is procedural. And right. uh, so that, that really outlines the nuts and bolts of the two most fundamental, uh, the, the two most basic and essential protections in the Constitution that are structural in nature. It outlines uh, both what I call the vertical protection, mm-hmm. what we call federalism, the relationship right. between the federal government and the states. And it outlines the horizontal uh, 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 structural 
protection, which we call separation of powers. Mm -hmm. That is within the federal government. We've got one branch that makes the laws, one branch that enforces them, and one branch that interprets them. Right. And those protections are upstream from everything else because Mm -hmm. when we follow those, it's hard for our government to go too far in the direction of eroding uh, other substantive rights. If we ignore those, it becomes very difficult to protect against the erosion of other substantive rights. Yeah. Now, as you talk about that, that horizontal uh, uh, area, that that's where we've gotten a lot of. out of out of kilter on that i think over Mm -hmm. the deck over the decades over the last couple of years and over the last many decades congress has created this administrative state right continues to give it more and more of of their congressional authority and their congressional power away and allow these agencies to come up with regulations that you know really have an impact on americans are all of these agencies necessary and if not what should congress do about it and to gain some of that authority and control back in my view, not all of them are necessary as a mm-hmm. simple matter of policy. There are also some agencies that are not necessary or, or appropriate uh, because in many instances, they're outside the scope of what I think can fairly be considered a federal power. But they're also inappropriate for a different reason than that. Beyond the policy wisdom of them or the constitutionality of their substantive actions, they they. The most significant problem with them, in my view, is that they're given lawmaking power. Some people describe the administrative system federally as sort of a fourth branch of government. Mm-hmm. I understand why they call it that, but it's, it's, it's really an extension, a magnification, and a distortion of the executive branch, the branch outlined in Article 2. You see, the, the executive branch is supposed to be about executing, implementing, enforcing the laws made by Congress. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to be a policy-making branch uh, ab initio. It's not supposed to start from something and make policy. But what has happened is that we've seen a simultaneous drift away from and a weakening of the vertical protection of federalism and the horizontal protection mm-hmm. of separation of powers. Let me, let me explain why I think they're related. Okay. Starting in the 1930s, uh, Congress started uh, making federal a bunch of things. Um, starting with uh, regulations of activities that, while economic in nature, occur locally, occur in one state at one time in almost all circumstances. Um, Labor, manufacturing, agriculture, mining, health, safety, and welfare type stuff. All these things were historically uh, understood correctly as being the domain of the states and their subdivisions not the federal government. But starting in the 1930s, Congress started pulling that to Washington. Then all of a sudden, finding itself with, vested with all these additional powers, Congress understood that it would have a hard time keeping up with the heavy demands of regulating uh, not just on the 18 clauses of Article I, Section 8, or elsewhere in the Constitution, but with everything. So they started outsourcing the lawmaking power. This was a necessary outgrowth or a logical outgrowth of the distortion of the vertical protection of, of uh, federalism. They, they started messing with the horizontal protection of separation of powers in this respect. They started passing laws that would say, in essence, we shall have fair labor laws and labor relations rules in America. And we hereby give the uh, National Labor Relations Board uh, 
the power to come up with those laws and then to enforce those same laws. Right. And this process unfolded over and over again with all of our alphabet soup agencies. Uh, uh, even decades later with the creation of, uh, say, the EPA. And later than that, more recently with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. We outsource these tasks. We shall have fair laws uh, governing financial transactions. And we here got, hereby give the CFPB the power to make those laws. We shall have clean air, and we hereby give the EPA the power to decide what clean air is and what happens to polluters. So all of a sudden, you've got laws being made at the federal level that shouldn't always be federal. Many of our environmental laws are appropriate for federal, but not all of them. But regardless, you also have them being made by the wrong branch of the federal government. Mm -hmm. Congress has the job to make laws. The power to make law is distinct from the power to make lawmakers. And uh, it's been understood for hundreds of years that it's inappropriate to elect a legislative body only to have that legislative body pawn the task of lawmaking over to somebody else. Yeah. Wow. It, it, very so succinctly put. Thank you for that. Oh, you, now, the Unshackle Act. Mm-hmm. T- talk about the Unshackle Act and how that would change this uh, and, and return us back to a really a, a better balance of power the way the framers of our Constitution intended. Sure. Now, the, the Unshackle Act deals with uh, one very specific, very distinct ramification of this approach to lawmaking and law mm-hmm. enforcement. It deals with NEPA, the, the National Environmental Policy Act. Uh, NEPA creates all these administrative hoops that one has to uh, jump through in order to uh, get something certified as environmentally permissible if it involves any action by the federal government in a project to be carried out on federal land or subject to federal approval in one way or another. The problem with NEPA is that uh, while it's done a lot of good to to make sure that we don't um, uh, needlessly contaminate the environment or or spoil something from an environmental standpoint uh, in the federal approval process or in a federal project, it takes forever to get approval of these things because of this Byzantine labyrinth of, of federal agencies and regulations that one often has to navigate in in the NEPA process. And so what this does is um, establishes some clear ground rules and shot clocks uh, within the NEPA process, requiring once a decision is ready to be made um, uh, on the uh, uh, environmental impact statement, that Mm -hmm. it has to be made by the appropriate agency within 90 days. And it just streamlines the process. As far as a fix for the broader problem of the uh, improper delegation of lawmaking power, uh, the best, most comprehensive bill on that topic is probably with the RAINS Act. RAINS is an acronym, stands for Regulations from the Executive in Need of Scrutiny. And it says that prospectively, any new federal rule that is a, a federal law put out, not by Congress, but by an executive branch agency, that is deemed economically significant. Uh, based on the compliance cost with it, uh, may not be self-executing. In other words, it doesn't kick in automatically. It kicks in if and only if uh, Congress, treating that proposed rule as a proposed law, decides to enact that into law uh, through uh, approval by both houses followed by presentment to the president. Uh, If we did that, just that one change would do more to 
restore the balance of power between the three branches. And I believe ultimately would do more also to help restore the proper balance of power between the states and the federal government than any other proposal I can think of. Because once Congress has to vote on those things, things like the, the clean air, uh, uh, the clean power plan, for example, that's been the subject of so much litigation uh, in West Virginia, the EPA and otherwise, once Congress has to vote on those things, a lot of those regs won't pass. Or if they pass, they'll pass in a modified form. Or if they pass unmodified and they cause a lot of harms, members of Congress will be held accountable for them and the people can vote in other people. And so ultimately, you'll end up seeing a lot of this stuff um, uh, not becoming law or be, being reformed by Congress or in some cases being passed back to the states by Congress, which is a much better way to run this thing. Yeah. Let me, get, let me talk about a real world example of that. And I know we've just got a couple of minutes. Energy. I want to talk to you about energy. You talked about NEPA and the process there, but Americans are seeing this every day in their, in their pocketbooks, a rising cost of energy. I mean, one, this would help, but what are some of the things that, that the U S government, that Congress can do and that the executive could do to make it it better for American families that are being burdened by these uh, rising energy costs? Uh, First and foremost, we've got to decide as a country that we're not in a position to abandon fossil fuels. Right. The more our government starts to embrace this this fantasy uh, version of the facts in which people say, well, we don't need fossil fuels. We can get by with um, wind and solar power. Uh, or other non-emitting sources of energy. I just, it's not realistic, not remotely. Um, and in fact, uh, calling to do that would, would demean the human condition, would cause it to retrogress. Uh, it would lead to suffering and in many cases, death uh, throughout the world. We don't want that. Um, human flourishing has occurred with the assistance of the use of of abundant, affordable, clean-burning sources of fuel. And we need to continue to use those uh, and and to innovate so as to make them cleaner and cleaner and eventually develop other innovations uh, that can get us to a place. If if we ultimately can end up in a place where we don't have to burn things, um, figure out uh, cold fusion, uh, for example, or something like that, it's a game changer. But between now and then, to simply say we're going we're gonna to burn the bridge as we cross it, uh, uh, that's, that's really, really dangerous. So that's step one is to recognize that we need it and we don't want to kill it. Step two, we need to uh, make sure that the policies we have in place that are currently restricting oil and gas exploration and development um, are made sane once again. Uh, a lot of our best energy reserves, particularly for oil and gas, happen to be on federal land. And um, particularly in the Western United States, if you need the drill on, on federal land, you've got to go through a very lengthy process uh, involving permission for the, from the appropriate federal agencies, uh, uh, depending on whether it's the Bureau of Land Management or some other entity within the federal government that controls that land. And you've got to go through a lot of NEPA process in order to get there. That's got to be streamlined so that 
we're not punishing it, we're not deterring it, and we're not drawing out the process to the, to the point that it's, uh, you know, trial by, uh, by acquiescence. Right. Well, Senator, I, I really appreciate your time. I know, I know you've got to run. I, I hope you'll come back some, some other time. i get, maybe get a few more impressions out of you. Uh, <laughs> if you do that, I, I love to, but well, you've been, a, you've been I'll a great, to do po- better ones next time. I oh, you did great. You, those were awesome. Those were awesome. They'll be a hit. Trust me. And you're a great policy champion for Americans for Prosperity. I want to let every listener know that you've been a great policy champion for us and uh, you're fighting every day for the American people. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So great to have such a great policy champion like Senator Mike Lee. It was awesome. Were those not awesome impressions? I loved them. I loved them. I love doing them. People who do impressions. I've done a few. Maybe someday I'll do my Ronald Reagan. You know what I need to do is have Mike Lee back. And he can do some of his impressions and I'll do my Ronald Reagan, my George H.W. Bush. Wouldn't be prudent. Wouldn't be wise. Wouldn't be prudent. Uh, That'd be a great podcast. Eh, we'll do that sometime. Anyway, if you'd like to get connected with Americans for Prosperity in a state chapter, be sure to email me at jeff at AmericanPotential.com. You know, this podcast, always working on stories to help keep you inspired and informed. And this was a great one with Senator Mike Lee. What a scholar. What a scholar he is. The best way to stay connected with us, like us, subscribe to our channel, as well as following us on Facebook, on Twitter, and on YouTube. And as always, if you know of a great story, someone that's working to expand freedom and liberty and opportunities for themselves or for others, and you think we should share that on the podcast, be sure to go to our website, AmericanPotential.com and fill out the share your story section. Thanks for joining us on American Potential. Thank you for listening to American Potential. You may listen to more stories from Americans working every day to expand freedom and opportunity in their communities by visiting AmericanPotential.com.